This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy, Tyler, and this week's special guest. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. I'm Randy Frisch from Uberflip. I've got Tyler Lessard joining me from Vidyard. And today we're going to hit on a topic that I don't think, Tyler, we really ever hit on, which is native advertising and branded content. So I think so often when you think about it, we always talk about the content that's living on our site and what content and how do we organize that and how do we send out content to our known subscribers. But the reality is that there's these opportunities to leverage content to connect with new people on sites that, you know, had not originated with an SEO search or our marketing efforts. And I know it's something that both of us have been thinking a lot in terms of how we can leverage some of those best learnings with our companies too. Yeah, it's funny. I always think about um, the idea of there's like this inbound content we're doing, to your point, that lives in our properties, that brings people in. But there's this notion of outbound content, which is things that are living out there on other sites and other places that are interacting with audiences that may not be familiar with your brand. And it might be their first time engaging with you, um, which, you know, changes the way in my uh, perspective, how you think about that kind of content, the way that you structure your stories and how you approach the overall methodology. So today we're going to dive into that. We've got uh, an, an incredible um, person with us here, Melanie Diesel, who is not only an instructor and a columnist and a consultant around these things, but somebody who's been living in this world of branded content for many, many years doing work with some really interesting brands. So Melanie, if you wouldn't mind, maybe just quickly introduce yourself and give the audience uh, a bit of a feel for, for your background and, and what you're up to these days. Yeah, absolutely. My background is primarily journalism. So I'm coming from the, the hardcore storytelling side of things. And I started out at the Huffington Post, helping to build HuffPost Partner Studio, which is their in-house team that builds exactly the type of content you were just talking about, content for advertisers that's intended to appeal to a HuffPost audience and give them sort of an introductory experience of the brand. I also helped build T-Brand Studio at the New York Times. So obviously, speaking of context, a very different type of content that's native to that environment. And now I work on my own as a consultant and a speaker, helping to teach other marketers and publishers how to use the tools and tactics of journalism for better brand storytelling. So I love the um, the, the idea of, of really starting with that journalistic approach to your content. And I think it's something we do talk about, whether you're writing things for your own site or, or whether you're writing things for a broader market or for perhaps a, a new site or, or other places. Um, so maybe tell me a, a little bit about that. Sort of how did that transition happen from journalism into taking this approach to marketing content? And, and what are some of those key themes you brought from that world of journalism to your approach to content marketing? 
Yeah, absolutely. The The transition for me was somewhat accidental. You know, I was in that lovely position we've all been in at one point where I needed to find a job and I was looking for ways to apply my skills, perhaps in a, a different area that I hadn't tried before. And that's how I ended up on the brand journalism side of things or the brand content side of things. Primarily, the skills we were using were the same. So I was still trying to find stories hidden in data or hidden in experiences, trying to tell those stories in a compelling way that fits the context of whatever publication it happens to live on and still striving to, you know, create really informative content, trustworthy content, quality sources, all of that. So a lot of the skills that we're using are the same, whether it's in a marketing context or in the context of, you know, editorial journalism like we're used to. So to give the audience a a sense, sort of a a tangible idea of the kinds of content that that you've been thinking about and and focused on, um, can you give maybe like one or two examples of, uh, you know, pieces that, you know, maybe worked really well or things that you were proud of where you worked with maybe a big brand, maybe an unknown brand, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to to really deliver a strong storytelling message to an audience through maybe an interesting medium Uh, and anything come to mind? Yeah. So when I was at the New York Times um, as part of T-Brand Studio, I worked in-house at the New York Times as part of the the business and advertising department. And brands would come to us and say, you know, we want to reach the New York Times audience. Here's you know, at the basic level, what we're selling or what we're about, what kind of stories do you think the New York Times would be interested or New York Times readers would be interested in in that realm? So Netflix came to us when they were launching season two of Orange is the New Black, their show about women in prison. And our approach there was very much a journalistic one. You know, we knew that our readers were skeptical, that they were very informed and socially active. So what we ended up creating was a 1,500-word long-form investigative piece uh, about what is unique for women's experience of incarceration compared to men. And, you know, at the basis, that's the family. You know, many women are primary caregivers, so their experience of incarceration is different. Um, you know, we, we had a three-part mini documentary in there, infographics, all the high-quality multimedia content that we knew the New York Times readers were interested in. And what we did that was unique, I think, is tried to use very journalistic sources. So we were using government data to create our infographics. We were talking to researchers and prison reform workers and, you know, current and former actual inmates to speak to their experience. So the final piece was very journalistic in nature. And the reason we we know that that worked, not just for our own ego, um, but, you know, outwardly facing as well, is at the end of the year, this piece was in the top 2% of all the content that lived on the New York Times. So we know that we rose to the level of quality that our readers had come to expect from the Times because that piece was performing just as well, if not better than, you know, a vast majority of our editorial. So, you know, the, the learning there was if you if you stay true to the standards of the publication that's hosting this brand content, then you're able to actually see the same kind of performance they see editorially. That's really interesting, Melanie. It's 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 funny. I was as you were telling that story, I was trying to think to myself, okay, so who should be writing this content? Because I think one of the things that we often do when we write a piece of content is we start by taking the same type of writing style and same approach that we think about our brand having first and foremost. But to your point in this case, where it maybe worked is it was written with the lens of how someone reads on the New York Times. So I I guess maybe one of the, the key takeaways here is start by thinking about where this piece of where this asset is going to appear. 
Yeah, absolutely. So in that case, I actually wrote the piece because I had the the journalism background and I was in-house for that reason at the New York Times to help create these brand stories. Um, many publishers, especially national and, and large publishers, now have dedicated teams that they generally call a content studio, um, who their sole purpose, whether they're writers, photographers, videographers, designers, something else, is to help brands do that, to fit the context, to understand the voice, the tone, the aesthetic that is most native to that publication. So yeah, that's absolutely key. You know, this wasn't a story about the plot or, you know, the characters, but really a story about the essence of what the show is about to help show readers instead of tell them that it was something they might be interested in, that it had implications for their life. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, like I'm, I'm almost rethinking a lot of the things that I've done in the past where, you know, I've been fortunate to have some of the posts that I write, you know, appear, say, on Salesforce's blog or LinkedIn's blog. But I, I think what I usually do is I just write a piece of content that I'm passionate about. And then I say, OK, where can we get this placed? Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, in Tyler, in my world, that's that's more how we sometimes think of maybe the closest thing to native advertising. You know, Tyler, I don't know when you've written posts that have appeared in a guest way or your company has done so at video. You know, do you guys usually think about where that's going to live first? Yeah, it's it, it's funny. I mean, you're right. I think more often than not, we take the topic we want to explore, we write that, and then we we figure out, you know, does this fit on our blog? Is this something we can, uh, you know, pitch to others? Um, but you know, there certainly have been times where we, uh, you know, where we've created a piece that is really targeting a specific outlet, and we've we've often done that, say, with, um, uh, you know, with our CEO when we're writing a, uh, you know, a, maybe a, a broader kind of byline article on entrepreneurship or on uh, culture and, and things like that that are less specific to our industry and you know that's that's always been a great tact where we say you know we're going to target you know Inc or or again entrepreneur magazine or cmo.com and try to align to to what's happening there and and I think for those broader pieces you're absolutely right you have to think about the outlet um, the readership the style and and of course like anything do your research on what other topics have actually done well on those mm -hmm. outlets um, that uh, that kind of give a good indicator of what that audience might be interested in when I'm talking about native advertising, I make a lot of dating analogies because I think it helps people understand. In a way, you're asking a publisher to introduce you to their friends, right? I mean, you know, they're kind of you're kind of agreeing, letting a publisher set you up, so to speak, with their audience. And you know, the environment we're talking about, where we create content and then try to place it, is a little bit like saying, Saturday, I'm going to go on a date. We're going to go rock climbing. Now let me see if I could find someone to go with me. Instead of meeting someone, you know, understanding what their interests are and then sculpting something, you know, an experience to, to fit their interests. Um, so yeah, I mean, both can certainly work. Um, but I think when you're talking about a very targeted publication and, you know, these are paid placements. So, you know, if you're investing the time and money, you want to make sure that you're creating something that's really going to resonate with that audience that has an element of personalization to what they're used to seeing there, you know, the experience they're used to having on that publication. So I'm curious in terms of the type of success that you described earlier, where, you know, it became one of the most read pieces of content on the New York Times. When, when you're dealing with someone like Netflix, aside from you know, views and clicks, what other type of ways are they measuring ROI on these types of campaigns? Yeah, I think broadly speaking, there's usually three types of campaigns, and it's similar to the other campaigns we do outside of content, right? You have awareness, engagement, and conversion. 
And content tends to work best higher in the funnel with most publications because we're not used to seeing product-focused messages when we're reading, you know, the New York Times or Inc. or some of these other publications that you might be partnering with. So what's most native to those environments are, you know, things that inform you, things that teach you something, content that, you know, entertains you in some way. Um, but you are actually able to, to focus more on the conversion end if you're working with a publication that normally has product integrations anyway. So an example I I always give is you think about something like InStyle Magazine or Cosmo, which I know you guys probably are not picking up a subscription, uh, picking up copies of those two. Come on, we, um, have, we have lives. We have lives. So, <laughs> you know, I will admit I've put that magazine on the the, the treadway at, at the store. Not always there with pride, go. but, you know, you got to do it. <laughs> But if you're thinking about magazines like that, you know, they're chock full of product references. They're showing you how to get the look, how to, you know, create a, a makeup look, things like that. It's very natural for a product focused message to be in that environment. So oftentimes when a brand is looking to make more product focused content, I recommend that they find a publication that has those kinds of product messages in their editorial content, because that's going to be your best bet of, you know, being able to have a product focused message that fits well. So I'm wondering, yeah, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot, Melanie, and, sure. and I think all of us can understand, first of all, we're so many people are fans of Orange is the New Black and, and Netflix as a whole. It's so relatable in, in our consumer lives. But, you know, maybe even a B2C solution that you've worked with that's maybe less sexy, right? You know, <laughs> one that's you know, not as fun, not as easy, because I think some people listening to this are saying to themselves, okay, I'd love to try this. But I just don't really know what's going to be that topic that's going to connect with people and link them to my solution. Have you? Do you have any examples of, of even clients you've worked with that maybe don't have that same sex appeal? Yeah, I get this question a lot because everyone says that, right? Like, well, I'm an accountant or a funeral director. There's not content that I can make that is exciting or fun, you know, and, and sometimes rightfully so. Um, the one example that I'll, or the, um, the process that I'll give, you know, and then, and then we can do an example as well is to think about the role you play in your customer's life. You know, what do you help them achieve? What do you help them prevent? Um, you know, what questions are you answering for them? How are you impacting their day-to-day -day lives? And then the second one would be what emotions are associated with what you do. So, you know, in that example of a funeral director, you know, obviously there are some sensitivities around that, but your customers, you know, they have a lot of questions and they're also dealing with some emotional elements when they're engaging with you as a brand. So you can provide them information on, you know, steps that they need to take when they've lost a loved one, um, you know, how to go about booking flowers for a service. What are some of the considerations when you're you're planning for the estate or for the family's comfort on the day of those events? All of those things, while not necessarily fun and sexy in the way that, you know, Netflix might get to be, are very important for customers and provide them with a lot of value outside of just your service. So those are the two, you know, how what role do you play in your customer's life and what emotions are associated with that interaction? Because if you can create content around those two things, you'll be able to provide a lot of value that makes you the natural choice when they have to make a purchase decision related to those two things. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, now you've had time to think, what's what's the, who are you going to put out there as a product that's less <laughs> sexy? Like, who are you going to roast now? You know, it's tough because I actually, I, I think a lot of brands do a good job of this. Um, you know, someone who... 
maybe maybe you can give me an example of a type of company and I can you know call call one up. Um, but I think there are a lot of finance brands that actually do a really good job of this. Um, so, you know, you don't think on its face of a company like Amex or Bank of America or, you know, Goldman's, Goldman Sachs as, you know, a particularly lovable company or a particularly fun company. Um, but they actually do an incredible amount of education when it comes to finance. And I think that's so, so important for that you know, that ad category in particular, people are very intimidated by finance oftentimes. And, you know, something like a guide to planning for retirement or how to have a conversation with your spouse about managing shared finances, you know, those things provide a ton of value to their consumers, even if they're not, you know, a fun, entertaining video that would end up being off-brand, they can be informative uh, in that way and, and, you know, service their customers. I think that's that's great advice. We're going to take a quick break here on Content Pros, and we're going to be back with Melanie to dig more into native advertising. Hey, everybody. This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, reminding you that Content Pros is sponsored by Uberflip, a cloud-based platform that helps marketers like you create personalized content experiences to showcase the content you've created. You, not IT, you can create engaging content hubs that your audiences will love. I use it all the time. My team uses it all the time. With Uberflip, you'll deploy content faster, accelerate your lead gen, and enable your sales team with personalized content throughout the sales cycle. Go to uberflip.com pros, uberflip.com pros to find out how you can be a content pro by showing your company that the content experience matters. The show is also brought to you by my friends at Vidyard, the new generation video platform that helps you unlock the power of video today. Love, love, love Vidyard. Use it all the time. Super easy, interactive, personalized video experiences. You can boost your online conversion rates, track the true performance of your video content well beyond the view count. Visit vidyard.com today to see how you can use video to deliver better results across all of your marketing programs. Also wanted to let you know some super exciting news. We've just launched a brand new podcast, a companion to Content Pros. It's called Experience This an unbelievable show all about customer experience and the brighter side of how companies interact with their customers. It's hosted by the amazing Dan Gingas and Joey Coleman. It's at experiencethisshow.com, experiencethisshow.com, or find it on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. You are going to love it. Each week has several different episodes, lots of multimedia, really interesting show. It is going to be a barn burner. If you like content pros, you're going to love Experience This. Give it a listen, won't you? Thanks as always for listening to Content Pros. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Content Pros. Tyler Lassard, Randy Frisch here, along with Melanie Diesel, talking about branded content and how to get interesting stories out there in the broader world, in media publications and online publications, rather than just focusing on your own website. Now, um, one of the things that is top of mind for me as I think about this is not just how to create that great content, um, but how do I get it out there? How do I actually either establish relationships with these media publications to get my content? content out there? Um, or what are the mechanisms if I need to go and actually get placement as a native ad? So how do you approach that? How does the common business actually take those steps to getting their content out there and working with these media outlets? 
Yeah, in the case of big brands, you know, who are working with agencies, it's usually through a request for proposal process. So those agencies or the brands directly are reaching out to publications that they feel they have an alignment with and, you know, proposing that they work together. Obviously, there are budget conversations that need to happen because these are paid placements as opposed to, you know, PR placements you might be used to on the free side of things. So if you're a small local brand, I don't want you to feel like this is unapproachable because, you know, a recent study by the Knight Foundation showed that more than 51% of local news sites are now offering native ads as well. So there's a really good chance that there is a website, magazine, newspaper in your local market that captures your ideal consumer who has an opportunity for you to do some storytelling in partnership with them. So, you know, that process is obviously going to vary by publication, but most often you can just get in touch with the sales team, the advertising team, the business team uh, of those publications, you know, do a little thinking about who you think is reading some of your local publications, what are you reading, who do you trust, and get in touch with them. You could usually find their contact information on their website in the contact page, you know, see who the staff is, and reach out. Um, you know, let them know you're interested in some storytelling and and see if there's an opportunity for you to partner. Obviously, their pricing is going to vary, um, but oftentimes you can have, you know, a sponsored story with a local publication, you know, for, for its a three-digit price tag or a four-digit price tag, low four digits. So it, there's definitely something out there in your budget, in your local market. Uh, you don't need to stress about the fact that you can't partner with the New York Times or you know some of these big brands or these big publishers who are doing it at a much higher price point. Yeah, and I think what's um, one thing that was interesting that stuck out to me uh, was that you know again we often think we have to write the content and then go out and, and you know try to get it placed or pay to have it placed, um, but it sounds like that's not always the case. You can you know approach these media outlets uh, without necessarily a story written and and look for you know is there an opportunity and if so you can work with them collectively to identify the topic and maybe even get it developed. Is that the case? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In in many cases, these publications are going to have their own team or or perhaps just some freelancers that they know and trust to understand the voice of the publication. And they'll certainly help you come up with something because, you know, the real advantage here is that you do get that storytelling expertise. You get the insights into what the readers of that publication usually engage with so that you can create something that's going to be aligned with that, you know. You can certainly go, you know, the old school advertorial model. Hey, we wrote this. We're going to buy a full page ad and happen to put some words on it. Um, but, you know, the the real key with native advertising is to make sure that it truly fits the context, both aesthetically and from a topic perspective with the publication that's playing host. And are there different types of, um, I guess, I guess media and approach to the way people are using native advertising? Because I think about there's the traditional, you know, written article and the, the digital version of that. Um, but even things like, I mean, here we're on a podcast and I'm not suggesting this is a native advertisement for you, Melanie, or for anybody else who's on our <laughs> on our show. Um, but things like podcasts and, and other things also offer great opportunities for people to, to get out there and to build a story and to get it into the market in either a paid or a non-paid context. So are there different like mediums and different ways people are doing this or is it primarily through those you know digital media sites in, in traditional text format yeah you know at its broadest level I, I always remind people when we say native advertising it's it's not really a noun native is an adjective that describes the advertising itself so it's referring to any kind of advertising that's organic that belongs that's natural to its content or to its context the same way that you know you're native to New York or a plant is native to a region native advertising is just something that is specially designed to really fit the context where it's being presented and consumed so you know a native ad in a 
in a podcast environment is, you know, one of you all doing a readout of a sponsor because we are used to your voice. We know and love it. And so having it come from you makes it feel natural for this environment. And you can truly find a way to to advertise natively in almost any environment. It just requires a consciousness for the context, the user intent when they're there, the experience, how do they navigate around, and understanding the value that that environment puts forth normally so that you can make sure your advertisement is presenting the same level of value. It's actually interesting, Tyler, something I I think you'd find fun, and, and this was a while back before you and I were doing this podcast together. We had a guest on from The Onion, um, who was talking about the ability to even create these video stories, um, you know, where, where they were creating almost like SNL style skits that were sponsored native ads in a sense, but they were engaging content. So I think, you know, as marketers, one of the things that, that Melanie's digging in on here is we shouldn't feel like the only form is long form. You know, the idea is how do we connect with the audience just as we do on a day-to-day basis? Exactly. And, you know, when you think about the social networks that we all use on a regular basis, you know, when you're on Facebook, what's native in that environment is a story in your feed. You know, you see a store, a sponsored story or same thing on Instagram, right? It's a photo or a video that's sponsored and appears in your feed. So yeah, you're, you're not really limited from a format perspective. It can be everything from, you know, images, articles, long form, short form, video, you know, augmented reality, whatever it is that that context normally presents, you know, if you can do something from an advertising perspective, that's the same level of quality and you find a way to make it fit in, um, you know, from an experience perspective, then you've done something native. So it's interesting. You, you bring up some of those social media uh, environments that we, we all think about. And, and I think as we talk about stories and telling stories, one of the one that, that I'm sure you're talking to a lot of your clients about is things like Snapchat. I'm wondering how that has evolved in terms of the stories that can be told there, but also the consistency with which you need to continually hit those audiences. Yeah, I mean, Snapchat is kind of a, an interesting animal. What what they've done is created ad formats that are native from their start. So without having to, you know, you can imagine a world where there were regular pop-up ads or something that you might see on a, on a mobile website. They didn't go that route. They tried to find a way to have the ads be vertical video content in the same way, you know, that your, your content from your friends or brands that you follow might be. So, you know, they've done a good job of creating you know, an, an, ad, an ad format that is really native to the context and, and not quite so disruptive for, for users of the app. So I think, you know, Snapchat was smart to take that route. So I'm, I'm curious, as you approach some of these, these stories with your, you know, journalistic background, um, are there any, what are the commonalities in terms of, you know, building a, you know, a great story for some of these different outlets as you think about native ads? What are the, what are the formulas that go into it? You mentioned things like having, you know, stats and whatnot really help to back it up. And, and you know, you have to create some kind of a story arc. And it may depend on the outlet, but what are the, the few things you try to bring into, you know, most or all of the stories you create for these to make sure that they're going to get the, the best response from audiences at this level? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're totally right. You're spot on when you say that it depends on the audience because, or on the publication, because even if you think 
think about maybe three websites or, or publications that you read regularly. Say it's, you know, Wall Street Journal, um, BuzzFeed, and Sports Illustrated. You know, those three all present very different formats of content, very different types of content, you know, different voice, uh, and different audience intent when you go there. You know, when you're when you're heading over to BuzzFeed, you're in a different mindset than when you're heading to the Wall Street Journal uh, over your morning coffee. So the first thing you have to ask is, what's the reader's intent when they come here? And is our story aligned with that? Are we going to present the same value? Um, and that, that one is key, because no matter how beautiful something is, if it's completely out of place, if you, you know, if you open up the Wall Street Journal and there's a listicle full of gifts, you're going to be very, very confused. That really belongs on BuzzFeed. Um, <laughs> so you have to ask that first question about the reader intent and what quality are they looking for. So that that's alignment first. Um, the next thing you want to think about is who do those readers trust, and that pertains to your sources. So if you're going to be quoting someone or giving an example, you know, maybe you want to showcase someone's history. You know, you're you're on Inc. and you're telling the story of an entrepreneur. Is this someone that the audience can relate to, that they will trust this information? You know, is it a, is it a reliable person uh, to use as a source for your story? So reliable sources are so key. They really give you that third-party credibility that you need when you're, in a, you're a guest of some other environment. So those two things are key. And then the third thing you want to consider is what's the best format to tell this story? Um, I think we've all had that experience of clicking on a video and you realize that it's just going to be a guy sitting there talking to you straight at the camera for 15 minutes. And you're like, my God, no, someone get me out of here, you know, back up, back up, go back a page. Um, so, you know, if you have a story that has beautiful visuals, that has a really interesting environment, you know, make sure you're including photo or video to showcase that. If you have a situation where it's someone sharing their expertise, that's probably best suited to an article or a podcast like we are now to let people listen to that expertise and listen to that perspective. Otherwise, you end up, you know, with a video that's dragging on or, you know, with an article that leaves you begging for more visuals. So uh, the asking what format is best to tell that story is, is sort of the last step before you get into production. Very interesting. I, I love that framework, Melanie. And you know, I, at the end of this podcast, we always get to know our guests, but I'm going to actually kind of transition two questions in one, one kind of like professional opinion, and then you're going to get to tell us like a little bit about you. So, you know, what about the future of, of streams like Netflix, right? I mean, today, these days, I, I still think of Netflix as pretty pure, right? It's like ad free. You know, that's what I love about it. But do you see a world where where content is also going to, is going to be able to be creeping into Netflix that's sponsored or native. And, you know, then the fun stuff is tell us what you're actually watching on Netflix so that people, you know, <laughs> if they're not really interested in your answer here of the future, you know, what are you actually doing now? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's interesting when you think about, when I think about what could be a native ad in any sort of context, I'm asking those questions we were just talking about. So when I go to Netflix, I'm looking for quality storytelling about things that I'm interested in. The best format for that, obviously, is video. And I trust anyone who has an interesting story to tell. So I can very easily imagine an environment where a brand has created a mini documentary or a mini series or you know a full-length full film uh, and places it on Netflix as a means of distribution. So just, you know, looking around my desk, I have a cup of coffee here. You can imagine a world where Starbucks creates a documentary about where the beans come from and, you know, the climate 
for growing the perfect beans and how that whole process works. If you're a person who loves coffee, if you're a person who loves documentaries about food, uh, that's going to be something you might be interested in. It would make sense for Netflix to suggest that to you. Um, maybe maybe I'm uh, betraying my own preferences on Netflix. I am very interested in documentaries. Um, I'm very interested in uh, understanding processes that I'm, I'm not familiar with. So I've watched uh, all those scare tactic documentaries about food, you know, where they try to convince you not to eat something or to only eat something or change your diet and, and only juice. So I've, I've definitely worked my way through all of those. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's, that's my primary There's category. that scary one on, on Netflix now. It's, it's like, what's, what's in the food or something like that? Do you know which one? Yeah, I mean, is, they're they're all there. Sure what what the hell? Yeah. yeah, what the hell? That's what it was. That's yeah. the one I was I was fearing. Uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting when we bring this stuff up and we realize it it comes into our lives. Like, you know, Tyler, both you and I have young kids, and I, I'm almost willing to bet that both of us are on the line to go see the Lego Movie, the the latest one. Was it Ninjago? <laughs> right, which is like, you know, couldn't be more native advertising mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah, I have a confession to make, which is that I do not have kids, and I have seen the Lego Ninjago. <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. It's all good. you know. Actually, the Lego Batman one. I was like, my kids didn't want to see it at first. I asked my wife, I'm like, can we go this Saturday night? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's. I mean, that's a perfect example if you really think about it. That is a straight up feature length film starring 100% products and it doesn't even try to hide it, right? It's Lego right in the name and that's what makes us want to go see it. So, you know, there's certainly the potential there. You know, if brands can provide something of value, in this case, entertainment or, you know, for us or for or for kids, um, you know, they, they fit in that environment. They belong in a movie theater or on Netflix if they're creating content that's worthy of being there. Wow. I don't think we can wrap up the podcast with a stronger final point, which is, you know, create value for audiences and think about getting it on the big screen. And and I, I think this has been a, a really challenging way for us to think as, as marketers, Melanie. And I really thank you for taking the joint the time to join us on the podcast. On behalf of Tyler at Vidyard, I'm Randy at Uberflip. We've really enjoyed having you here. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, check us out at contentprospodcast.com. There's a whole bunch of other great content that you can find there as well as at Convince and Convert, where we've got a number of other podcasts with great content tailored to you and please do tune in next time on content pros this is jay bear and thanks for listening to content pros please leave a review and subscribe on itunes or on your favorite podcast listening app go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits content pros is sponsored by convince and convert and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com.